Hi, I'm Audrey. And I go by Evan in certain circumstances. <laughs> and this is the Footnotes of Plato. Today we're going to be talking about natural law. Now, I know this is kind of probably mainly not, maybe not your cup of tea because it is with religion. So I don't know your opinions on that. My opinions vary, but it's on our course, so we're going to do it. Um, and it's kind of an interesting insight into Christian thought, specifically Catholic thought. Natural law is built primarily upon Aristotle and what he worked on. And it's a form of ethical naturalism, which means that it's trying to determine what is moral and not moral from what's naturally in the world. To quote Cicero, he said, right reason in agreement with nature. So it's sort of combining empiricism and reason with what's already out there. And this theory is from Aquinas, who's a 12th century um, philosopher. So the primary way that natural law is based upon Aristotle, um, Aristotle's metaphysics on the theory of causation, is the heavy emphasis on a eudaimonic element to existence. So Aristotle believed there were four causes for everything. This is a material cause, efficient cause, formal cause, and most importantly, the final cause. Um, Aquinas really focuses on the final cause, which is the purpose of something. It's metaphysical, it's transcendent, it's not built within any of the other causes individually. Um, it's, you know, a table is not functionally a table simply because it's made out of wood. It's everything combined and a purpose that exists in innately within itself. So Aquinas and Aristotle believe that life is purposive, it's teleological. Um, telos means purpose and eudaimonia means flourishing, fulfillment, contentment. So natural law believes that to reach a eudaim eudaimonic um, state of existence, you have to fulfill your telos or your purpose. Yeah. And so to fill your telos to, is to, for Aquinas, have a harmonious relationship with God. Um, and this process is achieved through erete, which is basically the pursuit of excellence through moral and intellectual virtues. So as I've just said, arete is the pursuit of excellence. And this is a key part of the theory because Aquinas believed that humans have a rational soul because it was given by their creator. It was given by God to us. And so we have to use it to achieve eudaimonia. Aquinas takes everything that we've just said as law or natural law, as in these things are self-evident within the world and within the universe if we just examine them through reason and um, rational thinking. Everything is intrinsic, the purpose of something is intrinsic, and um, the, the human should be moving towards God, and that is also an intrinsic factor, which is probably the most um, controversial thing for Audrey, I think. Um, that human happiness and flourishing is directly linked to a movement towards heaven. So Aquinas says that to be in a harmonious relationship with God, 
must imply five things. And these are the five primary precepts. And the five primary precepts are to, one, worship God, two, live in an ordered society, three, reproduce, four, learn and educate the young, five, defend the innocent and preserve life. So these are the five building blocks on which morality is based. And these are how we reach eudaimonia. A couple of these may be a bit iffy. I mean, Aquinas was a 12th century monk. As far as we know, he never had sex. I very, I very much doubt it. And reproduced. So he's already slightly hypocritical. But I think the, the idea of reproduction is much more this idea of making people on the planet so that our society can function. So to not die out. And that is seen as it is natural, I guess, to reproduce. Um, and same with the other four, four things. It is natural to live in an ordered society. It is natural to learn and to want to teach the young and also to defend innocent and preserve life. These are all natural things. To worship God, Aquinas considers that natural. And obviously this is a Christian religious theory. And so he will put that one in there because that's what his whole theory is based on. And for him, that is considered natural. So in Aquinas' natural law, there is this idea of real and apparent goods. So he states that cardinal and theological virtues um, allow people to be the ideal human. And so this is to reach eudaimonia. Whereas other humans, they will fall short and sin because they, are, they confuse apparent goods with real goods. So these apparent goods are things like um, sex and um, loads of food and um, excessive amounts of alcohol and all of these things. These are apparent goods, whereas real goods are what help you to achieve eudaimonia, so the, the cardinal and theological virtues. And the reason behind this is Aquinas's beatific vision. He basically defines happiness flourishing eudaimonia in a multitude of ways, which sort of makes sense to what he actually proposes as a moral philosophy. Firstly, happiness isn't fleeting, it's permanent, it's holistic, it's not momentary. And that is why he emphasizes moving towards God and moving towards heaven so much, because heaven is eternal. So therefore, heaven will have eternal happiness. Um, he also believes that we will gain our best source of happiness from our creator, which is God. So there's an issue with the apparent goods, because you could say that they're actually moving away from um, God and heaven because they are considered sin in the Bible, which is um, divine law under Aquinas's thought. So not only we rely on God for our happiness, but this kind of holy relationship with God is like where human happiness comes from. The origin of happiness and flourishing is from God. So to get the highest level of flourishing, we need to get to heaven. And um, that means we have to reach God halfway in the midpoint you know get his grace and that is why there's sort of a, a melding between 
a very Christian theological moral standpoint and Aristotelian virtues, because he believes that you can't just simply wait for God's grace. You have to sort of, you know, be a virtuous person and um, do those virtuous things like justice and courage and all that not, you know. <laughs> exactly. So if we move on from the secondary precepts, these are things which we can deduce using our reason, which is God-given, from the primary precepts. So, for instance, if I take the first one, to worship God, um, a secondary precept I would get from this is obey the Ten Commandments, or go to church on a Sunday, or pray. These are all things I get from worship God. And so if we... You know, if we go down the list, I can give examples for each. To live in an ordered society would mean to follow the law and care and love for others. Okay, and if we go to the next one, reproduce, um, this basically means things like no abortions, have sex with the opposite sex, and to use co not to use contraception, which not so good secondary precepts. But I think that if we look at the other ones, it might be possible to get around some of these things. So if we go to the next line, um, to learn and educate the young, this means run schools, especially state schools, for people the, that can't afford private schools. State schools are so, so important because it means that everyone will be educated. Education should be as free as possible because that is a primary pre and to defend the innocent and preserve life. So this maybe means things like no euthanasia or just good legal uh, systems and justice systems and maybe good police that won't um, kill people but will actually protect their citizens. Um, so these are kind of all the secondary precepts and you, this is what we get from the primary precepts. So these aren't hard and fast and actually they can evolve with science because they evolve with our reason. We deduce these from our reason. So actually, if we look back on what I just said about to reproduce means you can't have sex with the opposite sex. Actually, homosexuality, that may not be a bad thing if we actually look at all of the um, five primary precepts because a, homosexuality is completely natural. It's observed with loads of species in loads of different animals. So why would it be different for humans? And then also to live in a society, um, um, same-sex couples often are um, adopt children or are more likely to adopt children than um, straight couples. This means society... Um, children need to be adopted. They can't just stay in the care homes. So actually, homosexual couples help to um, live in an ordered society. And um, I think it's the same with defend the innocent and preserve life. There are really, really, really horrible people who are homophobic and even go as far as to um, kill people, kill LGBTQ people. And so to do so by not defending LGBTQ people, you are not um, following one of the primary precepts. And like I said before, Aquinas didn't even have children. He never reproduced. So why can't um, same-sex couples not reproduce in the whatever the natural way is? I think what you're highlighting is 
the apparent difficulty in actually determining what law should be. Aquinas Aquinas puts it really, really simply. He just says, eternal law is the unchanging nature of God, and then divine law is what it says in the Bible, and then natural law is what is observed in the real world, and human law should follow upon that. But as you said, there's conflicting evidence everywhere. And the way that he frames it is that these things can't be changed to a large extent. His five primary precepts are set in stone and they cannot, they, they are, his five primary precepts are set in stone and no matter how much reason and rationality you're trying to, to budge them into secondary precepts that homosexuality is allowed, he fundamentally believes that procreation is super important for some reason. The reason why Aquinas puts so much heavy emphasis on the five primary precepts is his belief in the Cinderacis rule, which is simply put, everything will kind of be shoved gently in the correct direction towards heaven and goodness. Um, This is probably something to do with the fact that Aquinas believes that there's a special relationship between um, a, a, a baby or a child with God from the moment of conception. So all the way throughout our lives, we have God within us. We have the power of creation within us to an extent. So therefore, God will sort of be, you know, guiding us towards the light. Um, so, but he also believes that the Cinderace's rule can't work if the five primary precepts are missing. So if you aren't in an order society and if you aren't getting an education, how are you meant to become a virtuous person and reach heaven? So that's why he focuses on the five primary precepts. So Aquinas also makes a distinction between interior and exterior acts. And this is very simply put. Exterior acts are the action itself. So, for instance, if I, um, if I give some money to charity, that is the action in itself. The giving money to charity is the action in itself. And then there are these things called interior acts, which is the motivation or intention behind the action. So for instance, I give money for charity because I want to look good and I want my name to come up and I want to see that I'm a good person. Um, But in order for the act to be correct, both the interior act and the exterior act must be good. So if I'm just giving money to charity because I want people to think I'm a good person, then my interior act is bad. So the overall act will be bad. However, if I'm giving money to charity because I think it's a really good cause and I think that it, it, the charity needs the money in order to help people or help things in the world, then that's a good act. My intention is good. My interior act is good. And my exterior act is good. So the action overall is good. This leads us to the doctrine of double effect. And this is something I've mentioned before in my previous episode about the trolley problem. And it's quite a tricky one. So basically what this means is that you may not always know what the result of your action will be. And so therefore you are only really responsible for the immediate uh, intended consequences of your action and not for the secondary unintended consequences of your action. Um, 
And because this theory is um, a deontological theory, that it's it's all about the intentions behind the actions and the action itself rather than the consequences for the action. So, for instance, utilitarianism was a teleological theory and that's all about the consequences of the action, whereas this is um, deontological. So what, sorry. And so what the double doctrine of double effect means is that I can do an act that is morally permissible in order to um, obtain a good immediate consequence. However, if there are secondary consequences that come about from it, I'm not responsible for that they happened so for instance if we take the case of performing an ectopic pregnancy the interior act is wanting to save the mother's life the exterior act is removing the fallopian tube and saving her life so both the interior act and the exterior act are good however there's a second unintended consequence which is you kill the fetus but it doesn't matter that you kill the fetus. You are not responsible for that because both your interior act and your exterior act were good and that was just a secondary consequence of it. And actually, this, this idea is used a lot in medical ethics still today, which I think is really interesting because it kind of shows how if we take for a minute a morally... Um, relative view on the world how much religion has shaped even our science and how our science works because the fact that um a religious theory an idea from religion has come into science and is used a lot either could show that it's a good theory or just how ingrained in our culture it is and i don't know which one it is but um and I don't know which one it is. It could be both. But I just think that's an interesting point. Um, all, all this being said, natural law is still a form of ethical naturalism, which means that there needs to be evidence gained natural facts that form all of these laws and all these rules to establish um, moral objective truths. You can't just say something is moral because it's natural. This is committing the naturalistic fallacy, as David Hume put it. You can't get an ought from an is. And this is also seen within uh, more, de more, or more, if you want to say it like a posh little man. Um, <laughs> it, it's impossible to tie the morality of an action um, or a form of behaviour um, to, to the action itself. It leaves an open-ended question. You know, he believes education is really important. Well, why is education good? Um, Aquinas would say, oh, it allows for the eudaimonic element of life. Okay, well, great. Why is eudaimonia good? And that's the issue. You just keep going on with these little questions where you just simply can't get an answer. And um, yeah, that's, that's it for me. <laughs> I mean, because... I mean, so Aquinas, yeah, would reply this idea of 
you can see human flourishing and that is the good that is the ultimate good um and if you believe in god then i guess god wants us to flourish and so and god is the ultimate good and so we can what leads to human flourishing we can um establish that that is good but those things that is also a value statement so some people would say that you can actually create um values from facts if you take the premise um of human flourishing is good yes and those are the neo-naturalists um i think one of them is called martha but that doesn't really help we go by certain (laughs) names wait martha nasborn yes is is he is she german i don't know (laughs) nasborn nasborn no it's nasborn i don't think she's she's not german she went to cambridge they all went to cambridge Uh, of course okay um so another criticism of natural law is that evolutionary science has kind of led to this widespread rejection of final causes or a purpose to nature um so when darwin came along and was like hey guys that evolution exists you know god didn't just put us on the earth fully formed we actually grew out of the sea um it kind of makes us think is there any purpose could there actually be a final cause now obviously aquinas thinks that the final cause is given by god and that it, and to achieve eudaimonia that is our purpose and then another criticism of it is that um basic human goods change over time and culture and there are isn't no one single human nature so this is you know human nature is shaped by culture and society and so how can we say that there is one nature and therefore make a whole natural law based on it foundationally everything in natural law is based upon a christian god and we know that the christians don't have the only god there's plenty of other gods in the world and this creates a pretty big issue. Natural law is always focused on everything being universal. Everything's rational, everything's empirical. You, you just see these intrinsic values everywhere and they're completely standardized in the world. But how can you say that when we have so many different religions with so many different concepts of God? Like, you know, the Greeks never believed that their gods were perfectly good at all the origin of their, their pleasure or their happiness or their eudaimonia. So natural law can never actually be rationally universalized like Aquinas would have wanted. Thanks for listening, guys. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Natural law can be pretty dry, but it's really important. It's like one of the foundational dentological theories. See you next week.